guest minister that came into uh, the church in Edmonton there, at Church at South Edmonton, who we've been partnering with now for over a year. And in fact, uh, in probably, what are we now? We're in March now. Wow, spring is here. Spring is in the air. Uh, we're gonna, we're, we're, you're going to meet some of them, some of their leadership, because they're going to come here and, and do some stuff with us in the weekend, worship, and then some sharing and whatnot. But anyway, uh, we had a guest in, in Edmonton, and um, he, he made this one comment. He wasn't talking about this or preaching on this, but he made this one comment, and it was something that had been stirring in my heart for quite some time. So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, and you want to write a title down, um, write down, the title would be, and I don't have a slide for it, but the title would be, If I Were the Devil. <laughs> if I Were the Devil. And uh, the reason that, that what, what, what kind of hit me when you think about that, it's pretty easy to, like, it's interesting, the enemy always tips his hand, doesn't he? Like, he always, you kind of know what he's up to, but a lot of times you don't really discover it until you're in the middle of it, Right? And you're like, whoa, I can just see the enemies working here. And somehow, I mean, we don't want to be on the partnering side of that. We were talking as a team earlier and just in prayer before we came out. I've said it here before, but uh, studies show that um, 80% of a human's thoughts are negative. Like the scientific world, you know, published that. 80% of the human thought is negative. So at any given moment, you've got thoughts going on in your head. You're all thinking about something Right now, you might be thinking about how cold it is outside. And now, if I say the word banana, don't picture a banana in your mind. Like, it's very difficult, isn't it, right? So anyway, 80% of your thoughts are negative. I know, I know us as amazing Christians, we're not like that, right? Because we have the mind of Christ. But the deal is that, that the enemy, the devil, Satan, he, his, his thoughts are 100% negative all the time. So if his thoughts are 100% negative all the time, and an average human's thoughts are 80% negative, that means that 80% of a person's thought life is partnering and aligning with the enemy. Wow. That's, a, that's like just practical scientific uh, knowledge, but it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And so anyway, if I were the devil, that's, a, that's, this is the, that's the phrase, but if I were the devil, what I would do is I would, I would seek to, well, the first scripture is going to be John 10.10. It says that the enemy goes about, you know, in, in Peter, says seeking uh, like, a, like a roaring lion. He's not a, ro- a roaring lion, but he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, uh, but in John 10.10, 10, 10, it says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, to give you life, and life beyond your wildest dreams. Like, extreme life, extravagant life, crazy life, abundant life. So it's like two polar opposites. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Just nudge your neighbor and say, that's your life. It's an abundant life. Nudge him and tell him that. It's my life. Um, and so anyway, so if I were the devil though, you know what I would probably do then is I would obviously, you know, steal, kill and destroy, but I would want to look at a marriage, for example, and I would want to divide the marriage. I would want to pit husband against wife. I would want petty arguments to grow into festering, uh, bitterness and unforgiveness. I would want to do that. I would want to divide families. I would want to break down the family unit. 
I would, everywhere I would go, I'd want to destroy things like that because a house divided against itself cannot stand. How can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, a three-chord strand is not easily broken. These are all principles, scriptural principles, or the Bible. And so I'd want to do that. I'd want to divide kids against their, you know, parents. I'd want to, you know, you'd want to divide, bring division to uh, churches. You'd want to, you'd want to get people within a local family body to just against each other, their, their division. So if you think about it, and if you look at Scripture, and you see even in your own life, you see the plans and the plots of the enemies. We're going to look more at the good stuff, but think about it for a minute. He's always looking to divide and conquer, isn't he? You know, he, he does that. That's what they'll do. The, you know, the animal instinct is they'll, you know, the wolf will come along or a pack of wolves. Usually they hunt in packs. But what they'll do is they'll pick on the weakest one on the edge of the, on the, edge of the whether it be the flock or on the edge of the herd. And they'll pick on the weakest one. And they'll try to divide it off the main herd because they know that if they, if they come against this one in the full herd, call it, you know, let's say cattle, for example, they know that the, the instinct of all the other family members are there to protect the weak. And so, if, but if they can divide it off and get that thing off the herd, then, they, then it's easy prey for the wolf, right? You look all through, I mean, it's, it's all through. I mean, lions do the same thing and lots of animals of, of um, that nature do the same thing. They divide it off. So if I were the devil, I'd want to divide families. I'd want to divide parents against children. I would probably, I'd really want to get involved in church life and church ministry because um, it's like, it's like a, a breeding ground for infighting and bickering and that kind of thing. I know not here, but anyway, just like out there, the general pop population. But I'd want to bring division. I'd want, to, I'd want to have people that would be against one another, you know, where they'd come into a worship experience and they couldn't really receive everything the Father has for them because they're concerned about that person over there that they've got a grudge against or whatever, that kind of thing. I'd want to, I'd want to cause division through unforgiveness and let bitterness just, just enjoy it when you'd see bitterness get in someone's heart and that person becomes bound up. When, when I knew all along that Jesus' plan for their life was to bring extreme freedom and life abundantly, so I'd do everything to, to, to stir that up. Feels really weird talking like this right now, <laughs> and I'd bring, but I'd bring, I'd bring division, and then I also then not only against families, not only against churches, not only against, but for against Christians, what I'd really go after, I'd go after identity, and I'd I'd, I'd try to divide Christians from the truth that they're in Christ and all things are possible to that they have this separation idea. I would divide that. I would say, you know, no, God's a distant God. You're different than everyone else. You're fatally flawed. You're completely unique and fatally flawed. Everyone else is getting it, but you're not. And I'd, I'd, I'd try to get in there and divide that. You see, because if, if Christians, if we walk like we sang this morning in that unity with the Lord, we know that when we lay hands on people to receive healing, that it's Jesus and me. It's like we're right in this together. So as my hand goes on somebody, it's like the hand of Jesus dropping on somebody, right? And so, but I would totally just, so the main purpose I would have, I think, my main strategy would be division. That's really what it would be. Okay, enough about that. Let's go in our Bibles to, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 11. This is a really cool scripture. Hmm. I'd also do this. I gotta say this. I'd also divide. I'd make it a, a thought of division between spirit, soul, and body. Okay, we know that we are a spirit. 
we, we, we have a soul and we live in a body. So I'm not a human being having a spiritual experience. I'm actually a spiritual being having a human experience. It's a different paradigm. Because if you realize that I'm a, I am a spirit with a soul, mind, will, and emotions, in a body, I suddenly, and, a, and I'm a spiritual being having a natural human experience. When you have that mindset, it, it totally closes the gap on that separation thinking. That I'm here as a human, and I'm asking God who's far away to come and do something or have, a, have something happen like that, Right? So, but I would also separate, I would bring division into things like this. Well, the cross was good for your salvation of your spirit, like eternity. That's okay. So you're not going to go to hell. Great. But what about the, that, that's, okay, I'll be careful how I say this, but I believe the abundant life that Jesus was talking about was not just talking about one day you're going to get to heaven and experience everything you ever wanted. Because he made it very clear that every time he preached the gospel of the kingdom, it always came with power, with signs, wonders, miracles. It was more about releasing heaven and the earth than getting you to escape and get to heaven someday. So you'd suffer your whole while down here, but someday you're going to make it there. And so what I'd like to do is I would divide then people in their thinking, thinking that it's a spiritual thing that God can do for me. So my spirit is saved. I'm going to go to heaven someday, but I'm going to have to suffer with affliction in my soul. I'm going to have to suffer with affliction by bondage in the soul realm, also physical ailment in my body. And so I'd bring, I'd separate that out. So that, like, you think about it, what would, what do you think? How are you more effective as a believer? Are you more effective, do you think, and more productive and, like, fiery and going for it when you have God, it's like you're firing in all cylinders, you know? When you know that God's your savior, but you also know he's your healer, and you also know he's your deliverer. See, if I don't know he's my deliverer, I don't know him as deliverer, or I don't know him as healer, when, I'm, when I encounter somebody that needs deliverance or someone that needs healing, I automatically think I'm unqualified to handle this. We better call the paid staff member. But the truth is, there's no separation. I mean, yeah, your spirit, soul, body. But just like Jesus, there's not a separation from Jesus died for your sin to Jesus can heal your body to Jesus can deliver your soul. There's not a separation. That's why that word salvation over and over again through Scripture, New Testament, the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo. It's that word there, and in one case, when he, Jesus is healing, it says Jesus healed them. It says Jesus sozoed them. And then it says today is the day of salvation. It's the word sozo there. It's speaking of your spirit. It's speaking of your body. It's speaking of your deliverance. Someone was delivered of demons. They were sozoed. So there's that word there. So in God's eyes, it's just this whole thing. This is all part of the deal. But in our eyes, I think the enemy likes to come in in our thoughts and separate the things. So he's always looking to bring division. Are you with me so far? All right. Let's go to, let's go to um, Genesis 11. Yeah, I need to, there's a few things I need to say first. So um, you've heard this, you know, division, division. Division is, is really just two vision. Two die, two visions. There's two separate visions. So a lot of people have division because they've elevated vision over value. So I got this from Graham Cook probably 22 years ago. In their home church where he was a part of for many years before he relocated to America, uh, they had, they had um, a leadership team 
that would walk together and work together and that sort of thing. And they made it so clear that, that we're going to be a value-driven church versus a vision-driven church. In other words, my values, the values that we have in the church are going to outweigh the vision that we have for the church. Because if there's somebody here that wants to go this way and do this, and there's someone here that wants to go do this, there's division, there's two visions. But if the value system outweighs the vision of the place, then the values always carry more weight than whatever direction things want to go. I'll say it like this. So their value system would be love one another, honor one another, prefer one another, esteem others higher than yourselves. And so if we live life by value where we're value-driven, you could want to do this thing and you could do, want to do that thing. Someone else could want to do that thing. And I'd say, I love you both because I actually, my love for you is higher than what you want to do or your vision for something. Do you understand what I'm saying? So with that, in, in, the, in the history of the church, never had any kind of, um, you know, any kind of um, uh, splits or separation or, you know, division in that sense or whatever, because a lot of times what would happen is as leadership, they'd come together and the one would say, hey, I really feel we're supposed to do this. And then in that, if some said, well, we don't really feel that's the direction we want to go, they'd pray about it and wait on the Lord and they'd, they'd look, okay, is this a vision issue or a value issue? If, we, if, it value, if it's in, a, in the value sphere, we're valuing this, then let's make a way where we can actually, let's just say it was to... Uh, this, this guy here said, I think we should run a daycare in our church. And everyone else is like, well, we don't feel we're called to that. Well, then, because I value him, then what I'd want to do is I'd want to help him discover his destiny, if that's truly from the Lord, which let's say we believe it was. So instead of dividing and going off to do a daycare, then they would be sending out and releasing and blessing, and there'd be reciprocation, like, back and forth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So... Anyway, so keep that in mind, too. Now, listen, in Genesis chapter 11, there's something really, really interesting here. It's actually, uh, you know, I got reading this, and if you read this as just a physical story, um, I think it'll lose some impact. You almost got to look at it, I forget the movie, what movie it was, but there was a movie, um, I don't know if it was Thor or the Avengers or which one it was, where all the guys came together and then they had to, they had to get elders from each of the spiritual dimensions to come together and they needed a piece of this and a piece of that and a piece of that and a piece of that. And once it all got together, it would release a power that's never been known. How many know the movie? Help me out, what movie was it? Power Rangers, yeah. It was the Care Bear movie. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? You guys are looking at me like I have six heads. Huh? It was, yeah, what, Thor was in it. But anyway, that movie, it's, it's really wild because it's almost a picture of Genesis 11, I, I think, actually. What, what they were doing is they were, they were getting together and they realized that if, if, if I can get this piece and you can have that piece and we can have that piece, there's this, and, and it would open a portal and then it would release a ridiculous power that the world had never seen before. All of them were powerful on their own, but do you know what I'm talking We could spend the whole afternoon guessing, couldn't we? Let's take a poll. <laughs> anyway, I just think it was a, a, never mind, you can look it up later, Netflix, Netflix it or whatever. But this story here is, is a powerful story. Let's read together. All right. 
So let's pick it up in verse 4. It says, And they said, Come, let us build us a city and a tower whose top reaches into the sky, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered all over the earth. And the Lord came down. See, at this point in time, there was separation. We're talking Old Testament here, right? The Lord came down to see this city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one. Somebody say one. Okay, they are one people. It says they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Some translations say what they can do. This is only the beginning of what they will do or what they can do. And now nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible for them. Wow. Do you realize the power of that statement? So God looks and he sees this group of people that were of one mind and one purpose, one language. They were speaking the same language. They were doing everything together. There was complete unity. There was complete union. Now, this was for the dark side. It was demonic. But because the issue there, the underlying issue for this was, uh, it was the same as Isaiah 14, 14, where Satan says, I will exalt myself high above the Most High. I will become like the Most High. The reason Satan was cast out of heaven was because of this pride that was there that he said, I will become like the Most High, El Elyon. I will be the, like the Most High God. I will elevate myself. So it's that same demonic uh, um, influence that said to these guys, we're going to do this. And so it was a pride thing. It was a demonic thing. But that's, the point isn't that it was just a demonic thing. The point is, when God saw what they were doing, he said this. He says, I have to do something about this because there's so much unity happening here right now. Nothing they imagine will be impossible for them. And that's on the dark side. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you see this happening. This is so powerful. So then that's when he, God comes down then and he, he, he confuses their languages. And that's where we get all these other languages from. So there's this big language barrier that takes place then. So now I don't speak your language, so I don't understand what you're saying. And I can't, you know, do you speak my language? You know, we were listening to that yesterday in the truck. Um, and so I don't know what you're saying. You don't know what I'm saying. So how can we walk together and do something together if we're speaking two different languages or three or four or five different languages? Just think for a minute. What if we all spoke the same language? You, you meet somebody, like I meet this couple here from Germany, and automatically, uh, I forget your names, but that doesn't matter, but um, automatically, I, I sense just a fire in their spirits, you know, and then they begin to tell me that they're evangelists in Germany, and, uh, and uh, so I'm, I, I sit down just for just a couple minutes, and I start hearing him, and I'm like, man, you're speaking my language, although I don't know him, I know him, because you learn, you recognize after the spirit. That's speaking the same language. You can, you can and, and, and now make it spiritual. It's not even that, it's not even that you go to another country, you can go into a, a, a service in another country, and you can be in worship, and you don't have a clue what they're singing. You don't recognize the tune or anything. It just sounds like noise, especially in Africa. It's really difficult sometimes. Like culturally, different. it's very different, right? Other countries, other nations. But you're in there, and you can pick up on the spirit of the place. You can pick up on the spirit of the people. You see the freedom. You sense the love. It's like you're speaking my language. Well, I'm not. I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't speak your language. But what, do you understand what I'm saying? So it was a heart thing. Now, if you fast forward, let's go to the New Testament here. 
Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Now, in the negative there, this is interesting, though, in the negative, you'll see that um, they were speaking the same language, but now in Acts chapter 2, God begins to show something. It's like Genesis 11 really wasn't God's display of unity, okay? Now, don't throw out everything I just said about speaking the same language. Keep that thought. Tuck it away and hang on to that. In Acts chapter 2, we find here that unity that brings blessing and brings favor is when people speak many different languages. It's the same heart, the same message, but it's many different languages because God's picture of unity is not uniformity where you have to look the same as me, I have to look the same as you, all the styles, everything, and it's just a bunch of clones walking around. God's demonstration, look at a forest, God's demonstration of unity is diversity. So if I want to operate in unity, if I want to be part of a unified group and I want to walk in unity together, that means that I take all of who I am, everything God made me to be, and I join in with you. And then you take all that you are and everything God made you to be, and then we come together and we start walking together in unity, each doing our part, not looking the same, but the same heart is the same. And the, and the language, the physical language might be different, but the language of the heart is all the same, right? So you see this happening here in Acts chapter 2. It says there, it says that, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, somebody say all, they were all assembled together, somebody say together. In one place. Somebody say one. So you get this picture here. I don't think this was put in here by accident. They were all together in one place, in one accord. Some translations say, here's your lame joke. They weren't in a Honda Accord, okay? All right. So I just slipped that in because I said I wasn't going to do a joke earlier. So anyway. And it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven like, this, like the rushing of a violent tempest blast. And it filled the whole house which they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues resembling fire. Fire! Wow. Whew. Fire. Come on, Germany. Fire. So the fire fell. And it says there, it says they were all filled or diffused throughout their entire being with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different foreign languages and tongues as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue in appropriate words. Now there were certain uh, residing in Jerusalem, Jews, devout, God-fearing men from every country under heaven. So now think about that for a minute. All these different people from every country under heaven. I mean, we're talking multicultural on steroids, right? It's like all these different languages. And the wild thing was, it says that when this sound was heard, the multitude came together and they were astonished and bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own particular dialect. Not just the language, but even dialects from different, you know, you go to different areas, there could be the same language, but different dialects. And it sounds a little bit different. So each one, so now in this case here, you've got unity taking place, but you've got diversity. So you've got all these different languages taking place. It's not uniformity. It's not that they all sounded the same, they all looked the same, but each one individually could hear what the other was saying because it was in their own tongue, you know? God does speak your language, okay? So you'll understand. 
uh, in 2006, we were going over to do a missions trip in the Czech Republic, and one of the gals on the team, Denise, I've shared this here before, but maybe many of you forgot it or didn't hear it, uh, but Denise, this gal from up in northern Alberta, before she came on the trip, she's like, Lord, you can, she was reading Acts 2, and she's like, Lord, you can give me the Czech language, you know, there's been stories of that before where, where missionaries would go out and they just, the Lord would download the language to them so they could speak the language. In other cases, this is kind of fun. In other cases, though, they would actually download, uh, they would speak in the, their, their own language and God supernaturally would interpret it in the other person's language. So they heard, even though this person was speaking in Spanish, they heard it in their native dialect. That's kind of fun too, isn't it? So anyway, so Denise prays this prayer. Lord, I want to speak Czech. You know, just use me in this. I'd like to just talk directly to people. So one night we were, we were doing this. It was a supernatural series, and I can't remember what the night was. I think it was on, um, uh, we were doing like um, spiritual readings, you know. We were going we to, and it was just prophecy, right? So um, all these people came, and this lady comes up at the end, and Denise goes over to her, and she lays hands on her, and she just begins praying in the Holy Ghost. And as she's praying in the Holy Ghost, this lady starts wigging out, like just like, ah, ah, ah. and then bam, she went down on the ground, she fell down under the power, and she's on the ground, and then Denise just kind of knelt down and kept praying for her. So then after a certain amount of time passed, this lady opens her eyes, and she says, she starts talking in Czech to her, like just going off in Czech. And it's a funny language, like I mean, it's kind of difficult to understand, and you hear she's talking to her, and, and Denise now is just looking at her going like, Hey, we need a translator. I don't know what you're talking about. So gets a translator over. And this lady thought that Denise knew Czech because when she prayed for her, she began to prophesy over her. And she said, you were speaking fluent Czech with a perfect accent. And she was just praying in the Holy Ghost. Right? And so automatically she took for granted that she knew Czech. And so she's talking back to her. Oh, and then he's like, hold the phone here. Hold the phone. Like, Denise, you should have stayed in the spirit. <laughs> no, we're not throwing her under the bus. But my point is this. Like God does that, so he can do that sometimes. He's able to do it, that kind of thing. And by the way, um, a lot of times, like, you get what you ask for. So why aren't we asking, you know? Why aren't we, why aren't we seeking? Why aren't we knocking? Anyway, all right. And so you see this happens here. There's a, ma a mass harvest. You see that in Acts chapter 2, this whole harvest that takes place. Now, I want you to go, oh, it says, yeah, and then at verse 11, it says, um, Cretans and Arabians too. Um, we all hear them speaking in our own native tongues and telling, telling of the mighty works of God. So they were all speaking the same message in different languages. So in other words, the heart was the same, the message was the same, but they were different languages. It's a picture of unity and diversity. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. All right. So Paul says this. Um, where are we here? Do we want to go? No, let's go to, um, sorry, not chapter 3. Keep on going over. Chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal and beg you, to walk and lead a life worthy of the divine calling which you've been called. Living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, humility, and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, with patience, bearing one another, and making allowances because you want to love one another. In other words, give a guy a Kit Kat once in a while. Give him a break. 
Like, why are you so stuck up, you know, and so hung up on if somebody says something or does something that kind of offends you? What he's saying here is, as a Christian, give him a break. Cut him some slack, you know. Now, we don't turn our eye on injustice, you know, that kind of thing. But if someone's having a bad day and they say something, don't be offended by that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. Let it go. All right. So, Keep on reading, though, it says here, it says, and, and be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness produced by the Spirit in us with the binding power of peace. So what's he saying there? He's saying, folks, you've got to guard the harmony. You've got to guard the unity. You've got to actually keep in mind to, to, to have a mindset that let's keep this, hey, let's keep this together. So we know foundationally it's about forgiveness and releasing people, blessing them. Hey, when someone offends me, hey, it's okay. That hurt, but I bless you and I release you and I forgive you, all right? To forgive means to let go. I let you go. Not saying things like, well, I'm not going to, I'm never going to do that again because they hurt me last time, so I'm not, there's no way I'm ever going to engage with that again with that person. They're done. I'm cutting them off. That's it. That's not the heart. God's saying, I want you to have a heart of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness and trust are two different things. So if you've been violated in some way, it doesn't mean that right away you're just going to trust that person again and open up your life to them in that sense. But forgiveness is not a choice. You know, in fact, Jesus made it really clear. If you don't forgive, your heavenly father can't forgive you. So that's a whole other kettle of fish. But the deal is, he's saying you need to work at it. You need to actually, actually um, guard the harmony, guard the peace, guard the, guard the unity. He's saying that. He's saying guard it. So how do I guard unity? Let's just talk for a minute. Um, as a family unit, I'll show you. As a family unit with a mom and dad and some kids, or a mom and some kids, or a dad and some kids, a parent or guardian and some kids, if the kids start nattering and bad-mouthing, the, the, the other sp- the spouse or, or the, um, you know, the other partner, it's like, as the one spouse, I could automatically side with my kid and say, yeah, you're right, you know, your mom really blew that, didn't she? Now, that wouldn't be wise because you want to guard the harmony, guard the peace, guard the, the place. You want to support one another in, in authority together, right? So, Speaking practically, just in a family setting like that, to guard the harmony and guard the peace, guard the unity, even though you may not agree with the other one, you guard the unity by saying, you know what, you're out of line, don't talk like that about your mother or to your mother, or don't do this or do that. Trust me from experience, we don't always walk it, we try. <laughs> but that's a difficult thing, because what happens is, and if you're a parent, you'll know this, or if you, how many were ever a kid in this room today? Okay, thank you, we got everybody. You'll know that even as a kid, if dad wouldn't give in, maybe mom would give in. And you'd start working both sides against the middle. If you came from a single parent home, it might have been in that situation. You're always trying to gain alliances with somebody so that you can get the win. Whether you were in a single parent home or a home, whatever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You do it at school, the kids do it all over the place. But the point is, Paul says here, you need to work at guarding the unity. You need to guard the harmony, guard that with the spirit of peace. You need to do that. And then he goes on and he starts describing here then how God created the body of Christ. And now he's talking like church culture in a sense. He says here, he says, um, Verse number 11, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And his gifts were given, varied. He himself appointed and gave to us some apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And the intention was for the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, that they should do the work of the ministry toward building up Christ's body, the church, and that it might develop until we all attain the oneness in the faith, the comprehension, the full knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive in really, at really mature manhood, the completeness of the personality, nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure or statue, the fullness of Christ, and the completeness found in Him. But the big thing is, is he's saying, all these leaders are put in place in a church setting, not so that they can just equip people to do the stuff, but he's actually saying that they would actually bring oneness to the body. Wow. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So the purpose of the five-fold ministry is to bring maturity, but it's to bring oneness. It's to bring unity. Because... God knows that in the negative on Genesis 11, if people get together with one heart and one mind and one accord, there's nothing that will be impossible for them. Nothing. Maybe, just sometimes, maybe, God shakes the tree of a church a little bit. Not that there's good people and bad people, but just maybe, just maybe, I don't know, this is just a thought. Maybe God shakes things up a little bit so that those that come together really, really come together. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it wasn't until we as a church started to experience a bit of a shaking that came a, a sudden breakthrough for a building. Now, hear my heart in this. I'm not, we're not talking good people, bad people, anything else. We bless people to go and we bless people to come. Do you understand what I'm saying? Find your lane and stay in it. Go for it, right? But there's, there's got to be, there, there's God, he's looking for, for people that can speak one voice, different languages, and that's why in the book of Acts there, it was all different languages. And when I say diversity and unity, I'm saying, you be you, you be you, you be you, you be you. But if God's calling us together in something, and we can do it together, nothing's impossible. Just nudge your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Ben, I'm talking to you. So, but this whole, then back in Ephesians 4, this whole five-fold ministry business is not just about to equip people for the work of the ministry. That's a big part of it. But the whole thing, the main foundation of this thing is that people would come into the awareness of their oneness with him, but also their oneness at a body. The whole body of Christ would come into a oneness with the body of Christ. John 17, Jesus talks to the Father and he has this dialogue that they would be one even as we're one, that they would know that you sent me, that the glory that you've given me, I've given them. And he's saying, guys, the whole thing is about unity. It's about your unity with God. I'm in him, he's in me. It's about our unity as a family. And if you're not from Catch the Fire Winnipeg, it's about where you connect as a body, okay, with other believers. I'm telling you, there's something about walking together in unity that will, is not a substitute for anything in the world. All right. Amen. Let's go now. Let's go here at Proverbs 6 really quick. Um, this is a good... I'm, I'm going to do two more, close it with two more scriptures, and then we'll, we'll get it all in here. Proverbs chapter 6. Nice light read. 
pick it up in verse number. Um, let's pick it up in verse 16. How, how, how does God value unity? How high is unity on God's list? I think principally, when you see commanded blessing happen and all this impossible things happening through unity, I think um, then he throws this, he lays this on us. Proverbs 6.16, he says, These six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are an abomination. Those are strong words, folks. And he says this, he says, A proud look, number one, so remember it says there earlier in, in Ephesians, it says to keep the peace, to keep the unity, keep the bond of, in the bond of peace, keep the unity. Um, it talks about in humility and all humility and lowliness, right? So if our value system says esteem others higher than yourselves, there's no place for pride in that. The reason Satan fell was pride. The reason the table, tower there, Babel in Genesis 11, the whole thing was a pride issue. Now, so a proud look, okay, um, a lying tongue, number two. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. That's a big one. Number eight, or sorry, number four, verse 18, number four. Uh, a heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans. Number five, feet that are swift to run to evil. Number six, a false witness. Uh, number seven then, the last one here is this big one. It's he who sows discord among his brethren. You know, you can sow discord among brethren without even saying anything. You can, you can sow discord among brethren. It'd be like this. So Eric and I are walking together, and uh, Chris over here, he says to me, he says, yeah, Eric really, you know, ran, ran, ran. he starts, you know, ragging on Eric, and he's like, something bothers him about Eric, and he's just all upset about this thing about Eric. And me in my, in my, so and it's like there's discord that's starting to sow here, you see? And uh, me in my silence can partner with his discord. Whereas, whereas for me then, if I want to strive to keep the unity and the bond of peace with all humility, then I would say to Chris, I'd say, hey, Chris, have you shared this with Eric? Have you talked to Eric about this? Well, no, it's just something that's really bothered me, and I just can't stand it, and I'm just, I've had it up to here. I'm like, okay, hold your peace, because before, I'm not talking to you about this. I'm not even going to get into this. I'm not even going to listen to this. Like, I'm not even going to listen to it, because for me to remain silent and listen to it, I'm participating in a discord, sowing of discord. So I would just say to him, I'd say, hey, go and talk to Eric about it, you know, right? I know this has never happened to anyone. <laughs> I know that, that, you know, you've never experienced this. But just in case someday this does happen, this is just, these are good words to live by. They're not my words. They're, they're, the, they're the word, right? So even in your silence, you can be doing that. But these are things the Lord hates. So why would the Lord attach such a strong word with all these things? I believe, he says, these I hate. And the, and, and the seven is abomin abomination. It's an abomination is because he knows the potential. The thief comes, John 10, 10 says, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I'm not going to focus and major on the stealing, killing, and destroying. I just want to make have it, be aware of it. But I want to step into the abundance of the abundance. The abundant life is what he wants to pour out. And the reason he hates this so much is because he knows that's the very thing that will rob you of the abundant life. 
All those things. We'll close with this. Let's go to Psalm 133. How many know this psalm? How many love this psalm? I love this psalm. Behold, hey, check this out, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's so amazing. Woo-wee. It's like the precious ointment poured on the head that ran down the head, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest. This is this anointing oil. It came down the collar and the skirts of his garments, consecrating the whole body. It's like the dew of lofty Mount Hermon and the dew that comes on the hills of Zion. For there, what does it say? Help me out. Speak it out. The Lord commands his blessing and life evermore. Ah! So what would be just a real simple... Uh, foundational thought to what would what would cause us to walk in some of the commanded blessing? I think we should start over, T Dog. <laughs> okay, well we don't have a whole lot of time, T Dog. But what think? What, what does it say? Unity! Yeah, 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 yeah! Wow, wow, wow! Amazing. It doesn't say uniformity. It doesn't say you all have to look the same, act the same, be the same. He's saying unity. When you come together and you be all that you are with a good heart. Lowly in heart, lowly in mind, not thinking of others more, yourself better than others, all that kind of stuff, but just say, this is who I am, this is who you made me to be, I'm going to walk together with these people. God will command his blessing and life evermore. Aha! Uh-huh.